Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noon and welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Doric, suppliers of window and door hardware to homes and apartments across Australia, New Zealand and Asia. We're sitting down with a true two-wheel legend for this episode. He's a multiple world superbike champion, a MotoGP race winner and a really good bloke with an awesome workshop. It's Troy Bayless. A couple of highlights from our chat ahead. He talks about racing at Bathurst on both two and four wheels. He opens up about his brief stint racing in America, where he tackled the famous Daytona Speedway on a Ducati. And he tells us one of the best stories we've ever heard on this podcast, that starts with him breaking his wrist while training. Thanks again to all our V8 Sleuth followers for your couch racer questions. It's one of our favourite parts of the show, so make sure you keep sending those questions in for our upcoming guests. So, here we go. Buckle up. Well, actually, don't buckle up. You're on a bike. It's time to start, so throw a leg over. It's Troy Bayless on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Doric. Troy, great to catch up. Thanks for having us here at your workshop on the Gold Coast. There's some cool toys in here, which we might touch on a bit later of what you do here these days, but take me right back. Where did this amazing fascination with two wheels... We're going to talk four wheels a bit later on as well. Oh, but that's where I really we, excelled. We're, we're, no, 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 no. Hey, come on now. Don't feel like that. Tell me where this whole crazy motor racing career started for you as a, as a kid. Yeah, well, um, yeah, first up, good to see you guys. And, um, of course, great to have you guys along down at the, um, down at Burley where our, our race team is. And, um, we'll take a bike out for a bit. Yeah, we can have a little yeah. blast later on something. We've got a little 110 over there, oh, KLX. That's probably my speed, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I've, um, for me, it started way back. We lived out west at a place called Warialto. We had a little wheat farm out there. And um, as as you do, like a lot of kids, I start, you know, on the farm, I started off with a little honda z50 that that happened to um fall upon the christmas tree one year <laughs> and i was around four or five at the time and 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 this is new south wales this is in uh new south wales yeah and um of course you know been riding bicycles by then and a, a motorbike comes along and when you can go out and ride around the farm and have a bit of a ride of your dad and do whatever it's like you feel a little bit independent i guess and it's all started from there Somewhere along the line, it goes from it's a thing to do for fun and on the farm and this the stuff the kids do. Where does the little switch go? They race these things and you can get paid and you can make a career <laughs> and you can do cool stuff and travel the world. Where, oh, where does that wow. tick in? Yeah, it sort of comes in much later. Um, if I go back to like just riding on the farm and then I, my dad and mum took me to a couple of gymkhanas, which I found was pretty cool, meet a few people and that was all good. But then... They took me to Stanthorpe for uh, my first ever motocross meeting, and I was really, I was really like you know country bumpkin, really shy, and I, I really didn't want to do it. I think I was crying like a baby and carrying on. And, <laughs> and what age is this? I was around ten or eleven. Yeah, right. And um, we did that, and we did a few of those, and uh, I was always down towards the back, and and uh, but you know I started to enjoy it and, and made a few friends doing that. Uh, 
And then one one Christmas, I, I got another new bike. Like I, I remember it was a Yamaha YZ80H. It's hard to fit that under a tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a YZ80H. And I rode all over the school holidays. And then I come back the the start of the next year and started winning. And um, that's when I really probably really started to enjoy riding because, you know, when you start doing well, it becomes much more fun. And uh, But ba- even back then, there was no no thought of like, you know, this is going to be my future. It was just doing a bit of racing and um, when that carried on really up until I was around 13 or 14. And where does the crossover come from having a bit of fun and going, oh, there's this stuff called bitumen and you can go race bikes there as well. That, that came a bit later for you, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, I remember sometimes um, I'd see some races back in the – would have been the early to mid-80s and I can remember um, at the time Graham Crosby was winning winning some races on big Kawasaki's and uh, it was the first guy that I'd really seen on a, on a road bike doing wheel stands when he'd have a win. <laughs> so back then that was pretty special. <laughs> Things have changed now and uh, there's so much extreme stuff going on but like uh, he was a bit of a hero to me and um, I thought, wow, road racing looks pretty cool. But never really thought too much about that. And I raced sort of um, more, a lot of dirt track and some motocross, but up until I was around 14. And um, it was pretty expensive for the family and that sort of stopped. And I just continued on with school. And it wasn't until um, I was around 20, I guess, 21 even, um, I was out training on the bicycle which I only rode the bicycle because I lost my license. Uh, <laughs> Why did you lose your license, Troy? Speeding, of course. That was oh. my P-plates. Um, but I had to get to work. I was an apprentice spray painter, and um, so I had to, had to ride my bicycle to work. And, and one of the young guys at work was riding on his cycle and said, oh, you should come out for a training ride. I did that, become hooked on bicycles, and then this morning I spotted like a, like a Kawasaki ZXR 750 in the shop front window and uh, caught my eye, and I... I Went and got a loan and bought that. That was a start to road racing. Yeah, so, how did that loan go? With the did you go to the bank for that? Oh yeah, nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Did you remember it to the oh, dollar? Oh yeah, I remember that. But did you have to tell a story in a furphy to get it, or did you tell him what it was really for? Honestly, I really can't remember the story. Which so I so there was a story though. It must yeah, have been there a story. Probably would have been a story. But actually, I think one of my mates and he only just changed banks lately. Like he worked for St George for so many years, and I'm sure it was Scotty who I asked for the loan. So um, we probably winged it a bit, but <laughs> I, you know I had a proper job and um, I could manage to I could manage to pay it off. So this is spray painting this at is, the time. Uh, yeah, spray painting cars, and uh, I I did my apprenticeship and continued on. So I did ten ten years and uh, got the sack about three months before long service leave. Oh. Gutted. <laughs> Motorbikes contribute a lot to that. I was having, to, I was having too much time off um, when it, when it finally became serious. I have to take a step back. Um, that ZXR 750. You know, I, I used to. Then I started riding that to work, and um, a few mates had bikes, and we decided to go down. And I honestly think it was the last G, uh, GP or Grand Prix at the time down at. Eastern Creek. Mm. So we rode our bikes down there and we went to the campsite and camped there. And I really remember between uh, turn one and two, we're on the side of the fence and seen the guys, never seen a road race really in, in real and life And you've before. gone to the top tier stuff. You yeah, haven't yeah. just turned up to some clubby. And I seen the guys riding around and um, they're world class. It was, you know, 125, 250 and 500s. And I just thought, wow, I think I could do that. I was pretty fast on the dirt and I was pretty good at motocross. 
So it was trade the ZX, ZXR750 in and um, I realised that I needed to start the right way and I traded in on a Kawasaki KR1S250. So started out in the at the production level. Um, that that was that really. Gone. Gone. In. I was in. <laughs> I was in. So when when where when and how did it go? Was the first road race? Yeah. Well, actually, I did forget. I did do one race on the 750, and it all went well. It was at Oran Park in nine, in 1990, and um, it was just the maybe it was the St George Club Series down there. I can't remember, but you know, I had a pretty good race. But then I then I realised that I I needed to go back and do it properly and and do the 250. So um, we did the the 250 job we went to Amaru Park was the next next Amaru race. on a bike that has to be entertaining yeah that, that wall coming on the pitch straights yeah there's so, nowhere to go but the wall like uh, the bike was pretty new like well brand new and uh, I didn't even have time um, to put the race fairings the fiberglass fairings on I, I probably couldn't afford it anyway and uh, I turned up mate, there you need your bank from the bank to get another line yeah yeah <laughs> I had no tyre warmers or anything like that and I remember I crashed it on, on new tyres on cold tyres done quite a bit of damage and uh, my father-in-law at the time we didn't have any spares and he, he knew a few people down there and he managed to get a few things welded up and we got a race we got you know we got a weekend under the belt and uh it sort of continued on from there and we started doing a few of the aussie the aussie rounds and uh and then finally moved up to the 600 super sport class which was the next step so at this stage you're you're funding yourself you're you're, you're trying to find cash from here there everywhere is someone else is there a a lot of riders get and drivers too there's a benefactor there's someone who's a bit of a a guardian angel at the time who sticks a bit of money in or has some belief or buys into the dream was there someone at that time or was that all all on your own my my future wife (laughs) (laughs) kim um between myself and kim uh, i remember the first set of tires i bought as well was like the michelin high sports how much five hundred eleven dollars geez your memory's good oh man you don't forget stuff like that um so basically we spent like everything we had like to um to go to go and do racing and it wasn't wasn't for quite a little bit of time that um the first really bit of help come along and um that was shannon's shannon's motorcycles down in foster tongue this happens a lot these days and uh, it's called race plan so basically um you get a bike you don't pay for it up front and uh, at the end of the year, when you when you sell it, you know you, you, you pay, pay it, it back at a discounted price, which works out pretty good. Um, so that that happened, and actually, I didn't know this bloke Colin Rob at the time. He had a shop fitting company in Taree, and he happened to be at Bathurst one year when we when we raced there in the six hundred Supersport class. And um, it was one of the, at the time it was the last time that bikes raced there because there was a big accident with the sidecars. And I actually had my first win there at at Aussie level, so for me it was a it was a really good result. And we're talking 1994 here, Around, the, the yeah. Easter I think it was 1994. The, the Bathurst 12-hour production yeah. car race and the bikes. Yeah, were the and same I think weekend. the the bikes did go back, but it didn't work out, and then that was the end of the bikes mm, at Bathurst. I think 2000. I think there was a one-off, and financially it didn't go well, and it ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but to, oh, Bathurst to, on a bike oh, at that level, mate. Yeah, oh. I didn't even really think about it. And at the time, uh, I really enjoyed it. I knew it was 
you know, a bit dodgy. A bit? Yeah, it was a bit dodgy. Hang on, what sort of speeds are we talking down, Codrod? Uh, I was on a ZZR 600, so it was around 270, 275 on a 600. Not so bad in a race car when you've got a roof and doors, uh, but when you've got nothing? Yeah, I know. We'll get oh. to cars later, but oh. I, I think cars are more dangerous than bikes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, to have my first win there and then Colin actually, um, noticed how I went and, um, he knew my father-in-law, Max. And so we had a bit of a meeting and he said, I want to give you guys a bit of a hand. And basically he, he gave us a credit card and, um, said, right, this is for putting fuel in your van and accommodation when you go away. And that, that was like a lifesaver. But did it get uh, used for anything else, Troy? No, no, I was you, pretty good. Yeah, with it. you were good. It's pretty good of it. Good and man. like all these years later, we're still like best of mates. Um, we have a really great time together. But like they, they're little things like that, which I say a little thing, but back at the time, it was a, it was big a big thing, thing and yeah. it really, really helped out. And you know, Colin helped me for three or four years along. You know, until I actually made a job out of it, really. And at this stage, is the thought, we talked about it earlier, of where the point is of going, oh, this could be a thing. Are we starting to think at this stage, mid-90s, that this could be a thing? Oh, yeah. I was already ready to run over my grandmother to, <laughs> you know, to have a win, basically. <laughs> a couple of mates used to call me the can opener or hay bales, <laughs> um, especially because like, coming from dirt track and motocross, I, I, I always got good starts. And um, even if I have, you know, qualified six or seven for wherever, like term, term one, you know, I settled down over the years. But like term one, it was like elbows out and I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right in remembering that the, your first go at Superbikes was a, a fill-in job? Yes. For Matt Maladdon, I think it yes. was. In the, the old days, we loved the Winfield Triple Challenge where we had the bikes, the the V8s or touring cars they were then, and the drag racing of a night time. It was a mammoth end of January event. It's such a shame it's no longer uh, no longer there. Ev- everyone loved it. I mean, I remember watching the V8s. Used to love that. The, the drag cars, of course, and for us guys, um, being the bikes, which you know we love, but to you, the drag cars and the cars and the bikes together brought an awesome crowd. So to race in front of a good crowd like that back then was incredible. And um, it was just a great week, great weekend, and I wish it, wish things like that could still happen. Everyone's still on holidays that time in January these days. We can't seem to get a race meeting going that early in the year. Yeah, but, yeah. So, so how did that scenario come about? Matt Melladen was, I think he was injured at yeah, I the think, time. I think, um, so before that, I'll just back up a whisker and I'll cut short like um, around two years of uh, 600 Super Sport Racing in Australia, where I nearly so close in both years come to winning the the title and and crack my wrist once and we'll get onto injuries it. at some stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I honestly thought the broken wrists were going to be the end of my career even before I got on a superbike because really? I had like five. For, what in one year? Yeah, or two years? I used, no, I was over from. Actually, I'll say five wrists all up but like three of them happened when i was racing 600s right and i thought the same oh, one no two Separate, on one, oh, yeah, and one on the other you're one. an equal opportunist for injury then yeah and um and it cost me really good results in the end and i i say like i guess so many people like you're doing everything you can to make it work and and things happen and you think shit i'm not going to get there am i wasting my time and and but you just keep on doing it mm. um but you know people do notice even if it doesn't everything doesn't go to plan so guys out there knew i was fast and when matt he had a ultralight accident i think in his plane and had a badly broken leg or ankle or both um 
Team Kawasaki Australia asked me if I'd like to do a uh, a wildcard ride. So I did and uh, qualified pretty well and actually was dicing for dicing for the lead with Robbie Baird on the Winfield Honda and we had a coming together and I went down and I think I broke my wrist then uh, <laughs> as well. Um, but, you know, that was the start of it. That was the start of it. And I think it was the following year I signed up with Team Kawasaki Australia um, we went to Sandown, you know, my first first run with the with the guys and won both races down there. Uh, it was an incredible weekend. Then we went down to Tassie at uh, Launceston and um, Simmons Plains. Simmons, yeah. And uh, barrel rolled myself down there and uh, <laughs> brought you back I, to earth very I, quickly. Brought me back to earth pretty quickly, but I had a, had a good year with the guys and didn't win the championship. But I had some great battles with Marty Craggle, who was my teammate. Um, I think, think I finished third, but there was two championships back then. There was a yeah. Shell Oils championship and then there was a two plus fours. So I think I was second in one and third in the other. And, um, you know, the following year, uh, I signed up with Ansett Air Freight Suzuki with mm. Peter Goddard. Peter Goddard, yeah. And that was my first paying gig. Hey, uh, now you've made it. <laughs> yeah, well, I was still working as a painter and 1997 was to be my last year of uh, painting. Um, and I was really training hard. Uh, really giving it everything that I could do and uh, take you know I was having a lot of time off work and then um, finally the the work thing finished which sort of was to be expected and that even gave me more time to you know because I was making a little bit of money and it gave me more time to train and do everything properly but once again I was at the I think I was leading the championship and uh, I was due to go to the Suzuka eight hour um, and ride alongside Pete Goddard, which was going to be my first really big... Which is a really prestigious oh, race. Yeah. For those who aren't, and a lot of our listeners and followers might not be quite au fait with, with bike racing, but the 8-hour, particularly in the, the 80s and the 90s, was a really big deal. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, super pumped to do it. Uh, the, follow, the, the year before with Kawasaki, I went over as a, um, like a reserve rider for Simon Crafer and Anthony Gobert. When you're a reserve rider, basically they give you four or five laps just to make sure, you know, you can ride you know, around the place. You know which way and, the track uh, goes and away you go. And that was that. But the guys, I think they did very well. I didn't really get to ride because they didn't really need me. Um, so I was really looking forward to going back there in 97. But I crashed at, <laughs> I crashed at Lakeside um, on the Suzuki in 97 and broke a couple of vertebrae. So that, that was a bummer. It really put a... I had a big lead in the championship too, I think, and uh, that whittled down. Uh, the only good thing out of that was we did a wild card at the World Superbikes, and um, honestly, our bikes were really prepped well. So Pete Goddard was the manager of the team and also racing. Phil Tayton was the tuner. He's still around it's now. Still going. Yep, yep. still going, and uh, he does some really great work. But I had, uh, I think I had two fifth placings down there. Finished in front of Kaczynski in one of them. He was the current world champion. Uh, that all went well. And then um, it was around October, GP time. Um, the circus come to town. One of the guys was sick for the Ari Molinar Suzuki team. And, and we're talking that the Grand Prix by this stage had moved back to Phillip Island. Back to Phillip Island, Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, through uh, Gary Flood, and uh, Stuart Vant and a few other guys that sort of put a bit of a word in for me. They said you should give this guy a go on the 
on your bike as your I think it was a Japanese rider was sick and they were like humming and hawing yeah yeah we don't know if we want a four straight rider on this two straight bike and blah 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 <laughs> and uh, finally it happened and basically I jumped on the bike and and I was up to speed pretty quick and um, all the, a lot of the guys were struck down with some flu the whole team were on a bit of a downer but they, their spirits started to lift when they seen how I was going and, and it just rolled on snowboard along and uh, come come race time I, I actually was running second there for a while and I was like 68 kilos and like um, a lot of the guys are quite a bit smaller than that on 250s and and the bike was a beautiful bike but it wasn't the fastest bike so down the straight I was getting swamped and I was going back to six or seventh and then I'd come around and I'd be second and and this went on and on and on I ended up finishing six I think it was and a lot of people took notice and there was talks of um, joining the the GP like the following year and but there was a lot of money involved for me to go there. Um, and I got a phone call out of the blue from a, from a guy from the UK, and it was Daryl Healy, and he had a private Ducati team racing the British Superbike Championship. And uh, it wasn't a hard sell for us. Um, he offered us a deal. and um, A deal like you don't have to bring any money? Yeah, yeah. Like a, They're good a, deals. A paid ride, a house to live, a motorhome to go to the races and at this stage you're not aligned to i've got the the moto gp or the 500 as it was dream or the world superbike dream i'm happy to go wherever a, a I, gig's I, going. yeah i want to get paid riding a motorcycle and we hadn't basically left australia so um kim and i and mitchell and abby they were only around less than two years old both the kids um we packed up and headed to the uk for the british championship and um that was uh, a really great experience and uh, met a lot of great people over there. Uh, some great racetracks. I guess some of my favourite places were Alton Park. Um, Silverstone was good, Brands Hatch. And it was com- pretty competitive. Yeah. How was it compared to the Oz series at the time? I, I thought I was actually going to go and win it straight You're thinking, up. You're <laughs> oh, I'm the other guy. I'm going to smoke some of these guys. Yeah, yeah. And um, straight up, I ended up in hospital at the first test oh. at Mallory Park. Uh, on a drying track just through a crash and um yeah but you know i was fine just busted up and uh we we hit the season and um it wasn't until around midway through the season that i had my first breakthrough um with a win at silverstone and then i had another win pole position i think it was at uh alton park and i finished sixth maybe in the championship that year we had a few a lot of problems with um we we're breaking some gearboxes we we're riding ducatis it was a private ducati team and daryl was basically doing he had some sponsors but like he was funding it a lot himself like he had a groundwork um construction business like um so he, he was very really committed to the team and he'd been involved with bikes for a lot of time and he put a big effort in and um we the following year, like he bought like proper bikes from Ducati, like the as factory as you can get, the RS bikes. We had uh, David David Etadotsi come to um, Knock Hill for a test that we were doing. Who, for those who don't know, at the time, the he's the bigwig. He's isn't the bigwig he? now. Ducati, he yeah. was the he was my boss in World Superbikes, and now he's the basically the boss in you know. The, the, there's lots of bosses. <laughs> There's lots of bosses. But David is the team manager, you could say, with um, the Ducati MotoGP team. And uh, being a really good rider himself, uh, he's, he's got a lot of um, 
he's got a lot of good about him. He's got a lot of experience and uh, he can give you a lot of help with a lot of self-belief. And being a rider, he used to really only care about your results and he would take away what are, what problems you had and or help take them away. And, um, you know, the only thing he cared about was the result sheet the result it sheet. doesn't lie it doesn't lie <laughs> that that was that um yeah so anyway david they come along and um obviously this test and then we had good bikes and uh 98 sorry 99 uh, we i was teamed up with neil hodson we had big battles throughout the year and uh you know the, the racing was really really hard over there but it was always condensed there was always like a dog fight hmm. and so i won the championship in 99 and that that was great and i was presented the trophy by carl fogarty who was the world champion at the time and you're thinking you're next as he handed it to me i was thinking i i want your bike <laughs> basically but you didn't say that though, yeah no you? Oh, no so you should have that would have been a great um, story so i was employed by daryl over there um with his team and then ducati came along Paolo Ciabatti, basically there's another boss, of course. <laughs> we all know Parlo. Um, and they, they signed me up as a like a factory Ducati rider and they wanted me to go to to go to America and do the America Championship, the AMA. But also Daryl Daryl's plans were to go into World Superbike as well. So but that wasn't gonna happen the following year. And he basically he became my manager as well. And Daryl said, like, well, you've got to go to America. Like, this is, you know, a pretty good deal and um, you can stay here and do this. But, you know, you've won this now. You've got to Move on. keep the curve going. So we decided to do that. We packed up, went to the US and... Uh, no thought here of missing Australia, missing home, missing extended family? No. You're not even well, about when we lived in the UK, we used to come home and have like six or eight weeks because, you know, the UK is pretty dismal around mm-hmm. uh, December and January, February. It makes Melbourne look good. Yeah, so we did um, them two years that were in the UK. We used to come back and have a little bit of time in Australia. It was only at Christmas. Um, but then the shuffle over to the US, we based ourselves in Dana Point. The bikes were brilliant, like they were full factory bikes uh, run under Vance and Hines. Uh, and who were you, you racing against? Who are the names that some of our listeners would, would remember? Oh, right. Then there was Nicky Hayden, Matt yeah. Maladden. A few big deals here, yeah. Eric Bostrom. Eric Bostrom. Ben Bostrom. <laughs> no, Benny might have been in the – Ben was already in World Superbikes then. I yep. can't remember but and, and because pa- my time was so short and, there. And part of this is racing at Daytona. Tell me about a that bike around f- Daytona. Give, take me right on board with yeah. what it's like because I will never do it. I will never do it even if you let me do it. <laughs> no, that's uh, – Give me the take on that. Is that the scariest thing you would have done on a bike somewhere else? No, nah, it was one of the coolest things. Coolest? Yeah, yeah so sure. you guys are all wired weirdly. Yeah, you bike I don't know. Guys. But yeah, Tell so the, the first test, uh, I think it was in December, um, was the first time on the bike. So we went there and uh, Nicky Hayden, Matt Maladen, everyone was there. So Nicky and Matt were um, the boys to beat there. Uh, you know, when you ride Daytona, you have to, they used to say, okay, we're putting the bowling ball in the back. So the tyres like rock hard because they, you know, there's even right back from the early days, like, Barrett, you know, guys like Barry Sheen had accidents that with their tires vision of him having exploding chunk, yeah. or tires delaminating. Like this was a big deal at Daytona. So the bowling ball goes in. It's not so bad out on the really fast on the banking, but when you go onto the infield, you had to be really careful. And a lot of guys used to crash 
on the infield when they when they tip in and lose the back or you had to try and ride, ride the bike like really upright. And that was the same course that we see for the Rolex 24 sports car race where you come around the start-finish line, then you peel off yeah, down yeah. low, work your way through the infield, and then you pop up yep. out towards turn three of the oval or there they're about. So same track for those who are thinking, has he got this pegged the whole way around the speedway? Yeah, like no, they, did, they no, wouldn't do that to us. <laughs> oh my god, that would have been probably scary. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm thinking so, so. Yeah, when you come off the off the, um, I guess it's turn four, maybe you go down the straight over the, the checkered flag, and then you turn into a, a big kink off the off the main track. I mean, you go there's still a little bit of banking there, so the bike sort of bottoms out there, and then you do the infield. When you come back onto the banking, it's like the banking there, if I remember correctly, is 33 degrees, so that's steep, mm. and it was like a four or five lane uh, motorway. That's how that's how wide the place is, and it's actually hard to walk up. Uh, when you come from the infield back to the back to the um, the oval, you hit that, and the forks just bottom out. The back bottoms out, and um, you, you run it right up to the right up to the wall, and then you hug the wall for a, a while. And I I like running it down low because it was faster, but the tire didn't last. Yeah. So there's lots of ways you could ride it, and then you had to pick on when you were come you know start your run down from the wall. Um, Anyway, left there like with the fastest time. We went back there for the for the race, and I put it on pole. Scored myself a new Daytona Rolex for pole, which was good. Have you, still, ro- have you still got it? Yeah, yeah, I still yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, you got to keep stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. Okay, I hoard shit. Ah, uh, we like hoarders. I, I keep too much. We shit. love collectors of things. We'll we'll talk to you a bit more I about that later. Actually, sold a sold a supermotor bike last week. Like, I felt good selling something. <laughs> <laughs> One thing. <laughs> One thing. Um, yeah, I, I, in the race, like um, Daytona 200, it was called. Which is a 200 you know, mile it's a, race. It's a blue ribbon top notch event, the Daytona yeah, 200. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we had to do tyre changes and all that stuff. And uh, the good thing with the Ducati was we had a single sided swing arm. So the rear tyre was a real, real fast change. Um, and also the guys are real fast on the front as well. So our, we were doing the front and wheel in. It doesn't sound good if you compare it to F1 or the V8s maybe, but around seven seconds, That's which pretty was good for a bike. pretty good on a bike. Um, I was in the front battle myself, Nikki and Matt, and uh, eventually I crashed out on – I lost the front and crashed out on the infield, which was a real shame. Um, but anyway, you know, these things happen. At least I could tell the time over there with the new watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, we moved on to Sears Point, which was another brilliant track. Um, put on pole again there, then the race got washed out. I went back to – we based ourselves in Dana Point. We were hanging out there. Um, and what state's Dana Point in for those who don't know? That's Southern California. Yep, so nice uh, part of the world to be. Yeah, nice part. And um, the, the races uh, – World Superbike hit Phillip Island. And uh, actually, we happened to be back in Australia because we were sorting out visas – and we're at our friend's place, Collins. We're having a barbecue, and the races were on. Carl Fogarty had his big crash and was uh, injured quite badly. And Collins said, you're going to get a phone call. And uh, I went, yeah, whatever, type of thing. And um, I can't remember the time frame exactly when it happened, but it was like you know within 24 hours. Um, I had David on the phone, and like, I didn't know David like, real good at this stage, you know. We'd, we'd met a few times and and uh, he'd seen me ride, obviously, but he said, basically, uh, Troy, it's David, it. he said, uh, I see you in Japan, Sugo, 
Uh, we organised a ticket, blah blah blah. No was, negotiations. No, 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 would you like to do it? No, Just no, you're doing it that, and it's done. That, that was that. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was like a factory rider. So I signed up for, from the Italians to race in America. So that was where... You I, go where they tell you to go? I, I was basically going where I, where I had to go. So rolled into, um, rolled into uh, Sugo, jumped off the plane, met the team. They had all landed around the same time. And um, we hit the track. And this is a real whirlwind. This has all happened really quickly. Yeah, yeah. So the bike was, you know, the bike wasn't a lot different apart from the bike was on Michelin's. And I'd never seen Sugo, of course. And uh, a bit of a specialist track. Some of the Japanese guys there, especially in the last chicane, were so much faster than the rest of the guys. I didn't even make um, the first lap in both races. I was involved in a turn one crash of about four or five guys. And then in the second race, um, I was I was sort of hit from the back and had another crash. I didn't finish. So you went all that way. All that way. Didn't even get a, a couple of meters of racing. Yeah, yeah. Didn't finish one lap in either of the races. Not a good start. So I was back to Tari, <laughs> figuring out about um, going back to back to the US. And um, then I seen that you know Carl was going to be out. No one was really sure for how long he was going to out, be out for, um, but they knew it was going to be a while. And they signed up uh, Luca Catalora for the next race in at Donington Park. I lost it then because I just come from the British Championship. Just been there. Yeah, just been my, ra- racing know, those tracks. I was like, Wait, did you find out why you didn't uh, get another go? Or well, what? I guess they weren't really happy with my results from from that weekend. Well, um, the result sheet. Did you the said result before, sheet. The, yeah, the judge, yeah. yeah. And um, but anyway, Luca had not good results anyway in Donington, and. Uh, so we were back. I think we were back in the US. Uh, the next race went was coming up to Monza, and um, David spoke to Daryl and Kim, and um, and they said to me, you know, like the guys want you to come back and ride at Monza, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm staying over here in the US. Uh, this is what I want to do. This is our plan, and I was against it. They wanted me to do it, and ah. Uh, it was a hard one. It was such a hard one. I, yeah, okay, well, it doesn't make any sense. I've never been to Monza. Uh, I'm sorry, it was Hockenheim, actually. Um, it was Hockenheim. And I was like, never been there. Doesn't make any sense. Okay. Why? Why, why are we doing this? Yeah. I succumbed to the... Got the pressure. Yeah, got the pressure. <laughs> Rolled into Hockenheim, and I had the worst flu ever. I was so sick. And then the track, awesome track. Three straights where the bike is where you hit six gear on the bike. So and this is the old the old Hockenheim before they chopped it up and, and shortened it. Yeah, it was <laughs> so fast, and um, I was struggling with the bike, just weaving like in a straight line, and we're trying to come up with solutions on how to fix that. Just body position on the bike, and David was come up with this one like he and he said it for many years after that. To tuck your feet in, you ride like Daffy Duck. <laughs> you know, just an, another another little thing. But um, the weekend, you know, I qualified really well, second or third, and and took my first win in World Superbikes. Um, had a really big race with uh, Akira Yenagawa and Colin Edwards and Frankie Keeley and all the boys. And um, but to have a win there when I was like, I couldn't believe it. You this know? is the race you said you didn't want to go and do. So. Yeah, yeah, that good was idea that. to go. And then. Um, it was like that was it. Okay, Troy, you're not going. You're not going back to America. You're not going back. You know, the next race is at Monza. Um, the Italians were like, you know, going mad because, you know, like 
a bike, Italian bike, having a win again. Uh, a new guy had just won. Uh, it was it was really crazy, and um, that was that. Kim went was sorting out all of our crap in. In, um, You're getting good at moving at this stage too. Oh, my too. God, I was telling you, we're like gypsies <laughs> um, for a while until we did get settled. Uh, Kim was sorting out the kids and then we thought the easiest thing to do for now is to go back to base ourselves in the UK, uh, which Daryl helped us out with, and we base ourselves back in Coventry where we started. We, we started there in the first place because that's where the team was based uh, and we we'd got to know quite a few people around there. So... Uh, Kim was sorting all that out and then um, she she met me at uh, Monza and things went pretty well and and uh, I had a fourth and a fifth maybe but I did one move at, at Monza where I went from fifth to first into the first chicane and 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 you know they they, they lost it again and that's what that the deal was really done then I was really really staying so we're halfway through the year and um, and Daryl basically said okay this is it we'll learn the tracks this year win the championship next year win the game in 2002 and retire I'm like, that sounds okay, pretty well, good well, that's a pretty specific sort of a plan he's got going oh yeah there, he, doesn't, he doesn't muck around and how close to that history would show that <laughs> got a bit of that right yeah so anyway i managed to have um maybe two wins that year like um we went back to i might have done well at brands hatch maybe i think um, you started winning so much, Troy, that you started to forget all of them because they all blurred in the yeah, one. Yeah, I think there's two wins when I when I joined the factory team and halfway through the year, and I still finished sixth or eighth in the championship from coming starting halfway through the year. So um, you know that was a big, you know, I got to learn a few of the European tracks, and um, we started off fresh, started off fresh in 2001 uh, with all the team testing and really getting. I wasn't comfortable on the bike the whole time. I hadn't found a setting that really work for we're always sort of chopping and changing and i was just riding it like a like an animal like trying to you know do well um but then we struck something on the bike that made me just like feel so at home and it was probably midway through or third way through the season in 2001 and um basically uh felt like i was sitting in my lounge chair from then on in i felt really comfortable on the bike and and that really made a difference for me. How did you feel accepted by the the usual crowd? Because the, the bike industry, clearly you've you've been in the UK, you've been to America, you've sort of done a little bit of a lap of the globe here. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and every series has its regulars, for want of a better term. When you roll into the World Superbike paddock and become not just a regular but the champ um, yeah. and oh, a guy running yeah. in the front uh, and another Aussie, you know, we've got a great history of great Aussies on two wheels. How were you accepted at the time in that in that little fraternity where outsiders can sometimes be deemed? Oh, yeah, that, everything was reasonably good actually. Um, I'd met a lot of the guys. Uh, I'd done a wild card the first year I was in um, in the UK at uh, Donington which didn't go very well it was my first year there and um, i remember some of the guys passed me like colin edwards and uh coming past and i was like jesus they're <laughs> <That's> going the <laughs> <level. laughs> <They're going. laughs> um but then when i when i stepped into the the factory team and started doing the world rounds i realized that um you know the guys were fast in the uk but it was just a, it was another level uh, in the world championship and um wasn't always a dogfight you know the guys were so fast that and the races were longer, that guys would either run out of puff or, or they'd struggle with a tyre. And uh, run out of puff, you mean physically? Uh, physically. Because the or, bikes were just yeah, so, so or, hard. Or, or running out of uh, setup. You know, you can only ride a bike for so long if it doesn't start like working 
good, you're just going to suffer. But if everything's working well under you, it just makes it so much easier. There's times where I might have finished eighth and I come in and I'm totally destroyed and then times where I've hopped off the bike and won and, and I could hop back on right now and do that race again easy. Mm. Yeah. Is there a standout race in that little period of a couple of years in the world championship where you, you know, became the world champion? Is there a standout race that's a, a bit of a favourite from back in that little period? Oh, so many. It's hard uh, when you win so many, isn't it? It's hard. It? It's really hard. But I remember when we went back to Brands Hatch, uh, always the, the guys from the British Championship, a lot of them used to do uh, the wildcard race and the guys were so fast as well when, at them tracks. So when we went back, the following year in 2001 which is my first world championship um i came across the same guys again like hodson and um chris walker and so many guys sean emmett heaps of them and um and i think in 2001 i had a massive battle with neil uh and john reynolds i think and uh they were they were both on ducatis and neil was riding for my old my old team so uh, that was good, but I always loved winning in the UK. The guys uh, took a bit of a liking to me over there, but I just love love winning in the UK. People in the UK don't normally like Australians winning stuff, but I guess if it's for one of their teams or but why did why did they like you? What was that? Uh, I don't because you raced in their series. Yeah, I think it was because I raced in their series, and I was a pretty easy going bloke. I think back then changed now, <laughs> not much. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I had some you know winning in Brands Hatch at the World Superbikes and uh, places like Mazzano. Monza again. Wow, I had some massive races with Colin Edwards and Neil Hodson and, and you know, Norrie Hager. Many great races with Norrie and he was like a Jack Russell mate at your back wheel. Just he'd ride so close to you and all the years we raced together, we never actually had an accident together. We never took each other out. Um, we'd, we'd bang into each other plenty of times, but yeah, it was some, it was some great racing, I must say. Where did the shift come from World Supers to MotoGP, which to, to some it depends, I guess, what your following is as to which is the premier thing that you're, you're into, whether you're a superbike or a, a MotoGP. How, how does the, the call – do you remember the, the the scenario and the discussions and the, the conversation and the, the deal that took you to sort of remembering back to Eastern Creek where you'd sat there at Turn 1 and 2 and <laughs> seen the World Championship guys, yeah. now you're going yeah. to the World Championship. Tell me about how that all came together. Well, the plan was going – going well like we won the championship in 2001 and we were like having such a strong season in 2002 and i won like nine nine or ten races something on the trot um i was having a colin edwards was right behind me and we were having some really good battles but i was just on a bit of a purple patch um and then it was about midway through the year that i might have even known a little bit before that ducati were building a moto gp bike and uh and I think, I can't remember what I exactly found out, but it sort of distracted me a little bit from uh, what I was doing. And uh, okay, so I, I knew that I was doing or I knew you definitely I, were going to I do. knew that I was going to be going to MotoGP. And, um, and then we had a couple of little dramas. I had a clash with Neil Hodson at Assen where I ran off the track, which really didn't help it was like coming towards the end of the year and i had like a 50 point lead and i seen that disappear in a in a couple of rounds had two two crashes at assen where there was a bit of a change in the bike and i was getting this chatter um and then like the points slipped away and we turned up at the last race at imola and 
got the bike back to normal. Everything was good, but I knew it was going to be a really hard weekend because it was like where Honda had been testing and Colin was fast anyway, but he was just come back off, you know, off the eight hour. They always come back from the eight hour with something special on their bike as well. Some hand like, luggage that they might have brought back, you reckon? I'm serious. Honda, when it comes to the crunch, they've always got something in the top drawer. Yeah. Uh, whether it be in World Superbike or, or MotoGP. Um, we've seen that for many years. They, they, they always come up with something. Anyway, we turned up at Imola and, um, a long story short, we had some, big battles that weekend and and it came down to the last race and colin colin took the win and the world championship and i finished second um i was a little bit disappointed but honestly it was one of the best races that i'd ever done and i was happy for him he was happy for me the crowd were probably the happiest they'd ever been because it was probably one of the best races i'd ever seen the only people that weren't quite so happy were probably (laughs) the um ducati bosses um which you know was looking really good for another world championship, but it it sort of fell apart a little bit towards the end, uh, which was a shame. But never mind. I mean, that's racing, and um, you can only do your best. And I certainly did that. The MotoGP era. What what do you what's your take away from those couple of years when you, you you made it to MotoGP and how that all unfolded? Yeah. So basically, like my whole my whole time had been superbikes, and you know, which is based off production motorcycles. Um, but you know, the superbikes are far from a production motorcycle even if you compare like our superbikes here in australia are more like production bikes they're still great uh the bikes have come a long way over the years but the the superbikes are still like far 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 core from a production bike really um but then gp is like going to another level again and uh, my whole time had been in superbikes and when i when i was asked like you know we've our idea is to have uh, Loris Caput Rossi and myself on the Ducati MotoGP team. It was like funded by Marlboro. Shit, who doesn't want to be the Marlboro man? <laughs> Free cigarettes. Fuck. <laughs> like, this is like really good. <laughs> so um, as good as my time was in World Superbike, at, at that time I was like, wow, this, this is cool. Um, we're going to be doing this. I'm not going to be retiring. Uh, that was that. I had two years there, 2003 and 2004, and oh, it's such a long story, which I'll have to shorten up a little bit, but uh, 2003 was a pretty difficult year. Ducati comes straight on board with a um, strong bike, like a really strong engine, and uh, Loris had a win, I think, maybe at Sugo. My best result was one podium, but apart from that, we didn't get many podiums. 2002, the you know, came out with another brand new bike and straight off the bat when we looked at it, we thought, wow, this thing's like so much better and um, just, you know, thought we we're going to be right there. You we're, know? We're, we're on and, here. Uh, but it was the same scenario again. Loris was more, you know, he's been in GP a long time, a great rider, a great friend of mine, um, had much more experience. He was getting better results. He'd get podiums. He might have had two wins that year, whereas I had only one or two podiums. And at the end of the year, someone was getting the arse and it was going to be the Aussie. So that, that was me done. Um, with and the, did you feel that that was unfair? Uh, I wasn't really happy about it. Um, but you're still in the Ducati. Uh, yeah. You know, and I mean, it's like in, in other sports and other places, you get chopped, you're gone. Yeah, whereas, yeah. Whereas in some, you're up. You're part of, say, the Ducati factory. Yeah, no, they move you somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, my and job you can was offered else. straight back to me in the in the factory team on the superbike, and 
I can't, I might have been Sete Jibinau come on board at the time. I can't remember. But it doesn't matter. You're not there. It doesn't, so it doesn't matter. matter. I'm not there. <laughs> and, um, you know, this, whether it be Superbike or GP, but especially in GP, like money talks. And there's a lot uh, that, that goes on to decide what's going to happen. I mean, it's always the case in everything. And, um, you know, I wasn't getting as good a results as Loris and that, and that was that. So my job was offered back in World Superbike. I was offered a job with Honda on the, um, on the Kemmel Honda with, um, Cito Pons. And this uh, is for 2005. This was 2005. Five, yep. And I was like, yep, yeah, I had the shits a bit. I yep, yeah, I'm going to go and ride Honda. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay, I'll do this. And, um, I should have known I've been on Ducati for quite some time <laughs> and I've been on Owen suspension like the whole, like nearly basically all of my career. And, um, I went with Honda, uh, which had shower suspension and struggled, struggled actually. And, uh, the team were all Spanish and I just never, the How's guy, your Spanish, by the way, really bad. Um, <laughs> you got any words? No, yeah, no, in Spanish, no, not a lot. Just some bad ones, probably. <laughs> ballet, <laughs> But um, no, Italian I can get by quite good. Like, you know, I'm like a four-year-old child. and get what I want, but it's not, not you know, perfect. <laughs> um, but it was a struggle, and as nice as the guys were, it was the balance wasn't there, and I was just struggling. And with the bike or with the team or both? Both. Yeah. Both. I was, I'd go away, be by myself, and I was just wasn't there. And then... Um, started to get going a bit and started to feel confident you know i had some results like fifths and sixths which weren't bad but i was expecting better um and then there was a bit of a break between maybe laguna Seca and and, and so was uh, sorry to jump in was this the was it a jilted lover relationship with ducati here to ah oh, there's still like i mean i went there because i thought like i should still be there instead of going back to superbikes mm. and then um there was the break, mid-season break, and we went back to Australia. And um, I was come away from Laguna, Laguna Seca with a good result and a couple of good tests. And I was like really pumped for the second half of the year, like things were going good. And then I was just training on the farm and um, on my motocross bike. And uh, it was like my last sort of session, just like natural terrain riding. But I was pretty worn out, and I thought oh, I'm just going to do one more session. And I had a crash and broke my wrist. But, that wrist again yeah yeah but i broke it proper like i, I nearly got sick when i looked at it that was like, Ooh, the bones were so there. close to coming uh-huh. out <laughs> and um i was like oh this is really bad you, you can swear if you like you, you were gonna yeah, say something this else is then, like, this is bad <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i thought oh christ i've got to get back to and, and how do you go with making that phone call to go uh, guys uh little problem yeah yeah well the first person i always call is um apart from you know kim or someone in my family but it's always kim would be um daryl who was like basically my manager um and davide but like first of all i had to get up and get this bike going and get back to where my dad was so like, you're in the middle of nowhere I was sort of like not in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, a K or so away from where, where bu- I knew my dad was working. Which is a bit of a hike with so, a busted wrist. Yeah, yeah, so I've got the bike going. I couldn't use the clutch, so I just, like, reverent and then dump it in the gear, <laughs> store it a couple of times, trying to trying to get it going, and off I went. And there's bone hanging out of the wrist. Not hanging so out, but, it's, like, it's, yeah. It's not good. And I got it fixed. Um, 
I rang my mate Johnny and uh, Johnny Walker. His name is. <laughs> he's a solicitor. Johnny oh, are Walker. Are you sure he doesn't come in a bottle? <laughs> yeah. And I said, Johnny, I need a good doctor fast. And he said, okay. So it was Bruce White. And I'm heading in the Tari and I'm going in there. And, and you're thinking, I've got to keep this on the down low. Down low, sort of for now. And uh, I said, Kim, go to go to the bottle. I need some painkillers. So, and he said, no, you've got to go to Foster. So, I drank in a six-pack by the time I got to Foster, trying to kill the pain. And, How did um, that go? Did it work? The doctor like, said, right. So, he's sort of moved it sort of semi back into place and bandaged it up. He said, you, you dickhead, you know, I can't operate on you now. <laughs> like, you know, it's going to have to happen tomorrow because I've been drinking and carrying on. Um, we went back out. And uh, it was actually the christening of uh, Mitchell, our oldest boy. So we had a big party that night. And um, so there was plenty of beers to be had again, <laughs> as, you, as you do. And I woke up about three in the morning and the thing was throbbing. But, but, yeah, it got sorted. And um, basically he built like the Eiffel Tower in my wrist. Um, there was like four, four plates and 18 screws. Lucky it was my rest, left wrist because that's, that doesn't bend anymore. That's it, maximum. That's, yeah, you, you hold it there in front of me here in front of the microphone. Yeah, it's, if I open up, it goes a tiny bit more, but that's it's it. It's pretty long. But it's like um, it was a good one. and I, that <laughs> was In it. a bad way. That, that was year over. Yeah. yeah. There was no coming back from that year. And, um, and, and, and I know in other sports, you know, V8 drivers, some of them have in their contracts. They can't do certain things like skiing or water skiing or extreme sports. Or But when you're a motorbike you got to I mean, ride you've got a bike. Train, you've got to yeah, ride a bike, so yeah. it's not. I guess it's not I really mean, frowned upon as a thing. And yeah, there's things like mostly like I think when I was with Ducati, most of the time it was always yeah. No, they weren't really into um, snowboarding or snow skiing or you know there's some things in there which I can't even remember. But there was no problem with riding your motocross bike, and the guys still do it now. And they're you know guys are always hurting themselves just out out having a bit of fun training. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was it. The year done. Uh, that was that. Lucky for insurance. These are the things you got to be really switched on with when you're racing and racing overseas, and um, you got to have a lot of things in place because when you're away from home, mm. uh, you know you got to got to make sure ranks like cover well because you don't anything could happen. It's probably something that people, particularly fans, would not stop and think about. But this is your profession. This is your job. This is what your family relies upon you for and it's how you make your income. So you've got to be, you know, whether it's having contracts checked, whether it's having insurance policies in place for the worst outcome should, fingers crossed, that ever occur. You hope it doesn't. But you've got to be prepared for everything. Yeah, I mean, like um, I didn't lose anything for the year, but, I mean, I didn't get to race, which was a bummer as well. Um, But that was that. Um, So my job was, like, um, back on the World Superbike for the following year. And I came back and we went to Qatar. Uh, And this is 2006? At the end of 2005, I think it was, I had my first test on the bike and uh, I felt jumped on the Ducati. It was the new 999. uh, Back home again. Back home again. Uh, The first test I did well but not as good as I expected. And then we um, tried something that we used to do with the old bike, the setting, put it back to similar, something like that, mainly in the front end it was, and um, went to the next test and uh, I felt like back in the lounge chair. Did you think, I should never have left? I could have had this yeah, for the last few yeah, years. Yeah, I could have been no, winning but, some more championships. But it made, um, it, made me a better, it made me a better rider and a stronger, stronger person. So I have no regrets in it at all. Had a great time. Um, so returned, 
on the on the new 99 and won the championship in 2006 uh, which was awesome by this stage I was like 37 maybe and um, which is not mega old in motorbike no it's not it's not, it's not mega old they're retiring you out of the AFA Lorena when you're 32 these days yeah and then like we were like the kids were Mitch was around 14 or 13 at the time Abby was 12 and we were already we were thinking like I'm at the twilight of my career and um, we want to get back home to Australia at some stage to, just to make everything right um, because all them years that um, after we lived in the UK we moved down to Monaco uh, and we're living there and you have to spend the right time there mm-hmm. you have to do everything right you can't it's be, a, a third of a year half a year um, it's, it's, it's more, a fair chunk like, of a year like a certain amount of days where like we had only come to Australia when we came back for the race that was that you give up everything like there's no license you give up your license you yeah. give up Medicare you have to give up everything. So, so is the, I mean, a lot of sports stars and motor racing drivers and riders go live in Monaco. Is it purely because of the tax break? Uh, and I'm sure for a few, there's a little bit of, let's say, oh, it's nice to be living in Monaco and to be seen. Yeah, probably some of that as well. But um, definitely, it's lots. Being being from Australia, if you're going to ride for a European team, like there is for me was a perfect base. Um, Okay, first you do have to say tax, um, but there was tax. I was paid by an Italian company, so you had to pay withholding tax there. From Italy. From Italy. Yep. And every a lot of people don't know this, but every country that you go and race at, they can come after you for a part of your contract. And this now, in the last years, is becoming bigger and bigger, and they really got onto it with lots of sports people. Mm. So... There's lots of people think there's nothing, but there is, like there is for sure. But living there was an awesome place to live uh, in the south of France for training. It was the the best place. It was awesome. Beach restaurants down there. It certainly, we went from like you know country bumpkins living here. <laughs> this is a step up to Coventry, uh, and then to Monaco. And uh, we started off in Monaco on the last street, the last street of Monaco. Like it was like beautiful place, awesome views. And, um, and then you walk down the town, which was only a kilometre basically, like down the stairs, you get fit, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but you know, that, that changed and we ended up getting a place down on, down in Cap Dye, which is like on one of the ports down there. And, uh, our lifestyle changed a bit. So you're like sort of socialising more and doing more lunches and dinners and lucky I was still training my ass off so that 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 wasn't too bad but um yeah it was like living in Broken Hill on the back street and then living down like right down in uh Pitt Street basically (laughs) and um but the good thing about Monaco was like there was all sorts of people there I didn't you could be like walking around like me in your thongs and boardies and a singlet and uh, or you could be walking down the street looking like Elvis, and no one would give two hoots. Every, there's also all, it takes all kinds. In yeah, it takes all kinds there for sure. Uh, the funny one of the funny things was like you know you just walk down into the garage and like we'd never had a new car until we moved to uh, moved overseas, and um, I think our first one was a Prado. <laughs> but you know you go down into the garage and you'd see doesn't matter you name any car you're going to see one down there yeah and they're all going to um hooked up to a battery charger because they hardly get driven they've got flat batteries (laughs) so it was funny as (laughs) but the coolest thing i did had was like when i went to the uk i'm not to the us i bought a um dodge dakota so it was like a it looked like a nascar but it was a ute and um it was cheap as chips 
bought it for like 24,000 US. And I thought, wow, we got moved over here. So I took it to the UK, uh, had it there. And then we, when we moved down to Monaco, I moved down there. So everyone had their Ferraris no and all this. Driving one no, of them. no, it was like, it was pretty cool, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you did stand out from the crowd just a little bit driving one of those bad boys around. Yeah, um, so a good place to live and uh, met a lot of nice people there. And, did you, did you, uh, who are your friends there? Anyone that you, ha- you hang out with? That uh, Stuart, you- Stuart O'Grady, Axel Merckx was a good mate of mine, like the cyclist, Brad McGee, heap, heaps of guys. Mm. Had heaps of good friends down there. A lot of cyclists were living there. Um, some of them were living in, um, like living around in Europe as well, uh, like Toulouse and Andorra. A few mm. guys living there, but yeah, it was a good crew. And also, like, there's a lot of guys that were like working on boats there. So I met some met some guys like um, like captains and chefs. And at the time, there was around 94 expats living there in Monaco, mm. and um, you just get to meet them around, you know. So, you build a bit of a network. Build a network. What's your greatest yeah. extravagance? Extravagance. From I mean, you've, you've had an amazing career, but have you ever treated yourself along the line to, oh, I won that championship, so I will buy that boat <laughs> or that car or that bike or that toy. What's your greatest extravagance? Well, um, so we had a thing for, like Kim had a, like an Audi RS4, so she would drive that, sort of our car. Um, and then, like I said to our bank manager one day, ah, oh, I need a... I need a, a faster, I need a cooler car. He went, you must. He said, Troy, yeah, he's Italian. He said, yeah, you've got you to. You're the world superbike champion. You, you need you something must. special. So anyway, I bought this Porsche GD3 you, you RS. You have a great history with good bank managers, Troy. We've learned this a today. Porsche, a Porsche GD3 RS. Ah, it, now you're talking. It was like white, red stripe, and um, the thing was like really cool. I didn't drive it much. I think when I sold it, it had like 14,000 Ks on it, but I loved it, looked after it. Um, probably should have got killed in it a few times, but I didn't. Didn't even put a scratch on it. <laughs> uh, that was good. And the other thing was, and I still have it, and I brought it back to Australia. I, was, I bought a cigarette boat. Right. So it's like a Kim will say, like a penis extension. <laughs> it's like a Miami Vice style lunch boat. Oh, gold. And um, we went to the Genoa boat show one day. Myself, Kim, and Daryl, my manager, and we went there like looking for a boat, like a lunch boat. And we we're walking around, and he spotted this Sunseeker 50 footer, looked really nice. And he was like, "Wow, this this is pretty cool." He had a bigger boat anyway, but he wanted like a lunch boat, and we we're going to like partner up in this boat. And I went off for a wander and spotted this cigarette boat. And I was like, "I come back." And I said, "Well, I've got mine, and mine's going to be in Monaco in three days. <laughs> He's had to be built, so he, he ended up getting that, and I got the cigarette boat." And uh, yeah, I had some fun in that, but probably the silliest thing I ever bought, but um, it's still very cool and I still have it. Can't have been that silly if you've still got it. It was a bit silly. Oh, it was a bit silly. Well, I'm sure there's sillier things <laughs> that everyone's done over the years. One of the enduring memories I, I have of your bike racing career overseas is that one-off comeback in MotoGP for yeah. that final race um, of 06? Yeah, it was 06. At yeah. Valencia, where you, you come back and jump on the Ducati and win the the last race of, of the season We're, there's a world championship battle going on which is probably the real focus for the rest of the world um but you turn up and remind the world that i know how to ride these things and that's yeah. i remember sitting up watching that race and it was a cool one what's your memory of that weekend yeah it was a good memory um <laughs> it was a great year 2006 because we won the championship on the 999 mm, in the world superbike uh, yeah. yeah and uh we just finished up uh, i think we finished up at 
either Magni Core or Imola. And so we were back back in Monaco and um, sort of in party mode. And I remember one of the days we were like down. Well, one of the days. This is a long party. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like a week it went for basically. And um, we were down in Ventimiglia, which is only like um, 20Ks from Monaco. And I used to train there every day. So I'd ride my bicycle down. Uh, so you go in, into Italy and I used to do some gym down there and then ride home, do that like four days a week and then do some longer days on the weekend on the bicycle. But we were down there and um, there was me and a few of the Aussie cyclists and there was this cafe that we used to go to called Smoke. And so we were in there and we are just having coffee and then beers and then... Uh, <laughs> Things progressed. Yeah, yeah, we rode, we rode back to Monaco and we're all off our chop basically. And... Um, <laughs> there was a phone call from um ducati saying would i like to ride the the last race um of 2006 because said juvenile had had an accident and they said it would be a great a great thing because uh myself and laura started off the project on the on the 990s and the following year they were going to go back to the 800 so I thought about it for a while. Kim didn't think it was a good idea, and I thought it was a good idea. And between myself and Daryl, basically we come up with a plan and you know a deal. And then also, did you, dri- did you drive a hard bargain? We drove a hard bargain, good. and also um, the deal. Important part was that I wanted to take my superbike crew. So I took with me along come Ernesto Marinelli, who was my crew chief who I had back in 2000 in Vance and Hines in, in the US and then in 2006 right through to 2008. So Ernesto Marinelli, Paolo Ciabatti and Davide Tardozzi. So them guys come along with me and um, we went to Valencia, which was a place that I always really did well at anyway. I jumped on the bike. I hadn't been on the bike since 2004. It had progressed a lot and uh, the bike was on Bridgestones. Basically, um, I jumped on and started off, you know, pretty good right from the start. And the weekend just roller coasted along from there. And I qualified second to Valentino by like a, from a tenth. And um, Loris might have been second or third, third or fourth. And um, basically, I led the race from start mm. to finish. Uh, Valentino crashed out. Uh, Nicky was racing for the championship. He hung on for a while, but I had uh, Caparossi on my heels for the whole race. And. Um, I was under the pressure the, the whole time. And beating the bloke that had kept his ride when you had it's kind of a nice little <laughs> yeah, incentive at yeah, the moment. Yeah, but Loris was so happy for me, you wouldn't believe it. But, like, I know deep down if he could have, he would have he would have wanted to beat me. Um, but with, um, with like, five or six laps to go, I had, like, a around two-second gap to Loris and uh, I felt really good on the bike and I knew what was going to happen as long as I, you know, kept my cool, uh, which I did cross the line and of course everyone's like so happy including myself um felt like a one like a mini championship there and and it felt it really felt like unless you were actually there or seen it on the telly that day no one really knew about it and but for me like as much as i was happy i was happy for um the superbike paddock because i'd come from from you feel like you're, you're waving the flag to go yeah, these yeah. guys can do it you too. Know, we can do it and um i believe that you know, with them guys, I could have had better results, like in my years there. But like, it wasn't to be. And um, David, I end up leaving World Superbikes. I can't remember what year, and he stayed outside for a long time. He always wanted to be in GP, but David has like got a very strong personality, and like, 
they I think they thought he was too wild to be there. Mm. But he end up they end up bringing him back there two or three years ago, and um, he's been a great asset to the team. And uh, would have loved to have been there with him in two thousand and three and four, but wasn't to be. We'll talk soon about the V8 supercars, which our followers will remember. You did some tests and you raced at Bathurst and Phillip Island as well. So you got the unique view of bikes on the same tracks as you did in, in cars. When that period of the motor, for those who are the V8 followers who probably might not pay as much attention to the two wheel stuff, what stopped the, the bike racing for you in that period after you did that MotoGP one? Oh, I'd been like, so I went back and rode in 2007. And um, like in world super, in world superbike, and Kim was um, pretty much on my case about it's getting very close to for us to go home. And how old are you here? You're thirty-eight, yeah. I think. And I was like, oh, give me one more year. <laughs> it's me, like a kid being yeah, told to go to me, bed. One give more, me one just more one year. More. So this is two thousand and seven, and um, I was on the nine 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 again, and the bike was um, beautiful bike, but like it was like it was like at its limit. Like the bike was like a a GP bike, like. Because it was a thousand, but only a twin cylinder. We're racing like Japanese bikes; they were a thousand cc, but but four cylinder, and they had more revs, and they had like more top end, and had to ride the wheels off it to try and try and get a win. And it finally came to a halt. I had had good start to the season, but my main rival for the year was James Taslin. He was on a Honda, and um, he was really on form. And uh, I crashed out at Donington. And um, well, lost my finger. I was going to get to that, but you've you've you beat me to lost it. The, the my, little, so the, your right hand, yeah, your little a, pinky, a, it's about ground away from the the knuckle. Yeah, up. so you've, it's not there. I had a good lead, and well, only a few seconds, but I, I was like right on it, and um, I crashed at Coppice, and um, straight away when the bike went down, I didn't know, but like my finger was between the handlebar and the tar, so the only thing that was hanging was a bit of skin on the bottom, and the the front bit was. It was just hanging off. So it was a handlebar, like a handlebar was grooved into it, like that <laughs> part. So the, where the fingernail was looked perfect, but then there was a big, like a handlebar how would go around it. and divot through it. I was hanging by a thread. So that happened and I'm sliding. So you got all that way through your motorcycle career because we see that's the one of the legacies of motorbike races is all your pinkies are completely warped. Yeah, yeah, but that you, one's even messed up. And the bit, other but, one on your other hand here is, is not flash, but it's better than I've seen on some guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you got it's all the way bad. to that point before you ended up slicing half of one off. Yeah, yeah, never had a broken arm or a leg, you know. just That's pretty good. Just everything that's attached, like yeah. kneecaps and ankles and vertebrae <laughs> well, elbows. While we're on that, what was the worst? Injury along the way. Was there one stand or just a whole pile of little ones that I think, up? Oh, so many, like not, nothing really bad, just broken. Vertebrae took a while to get over, but there's times where you're so banged up that you're like, you know, you're not moving for a week. Mm. Like there's just, you just been roll bold and sat on. Uh, one, yeah, no, just nothing terribly bad, but just always, every year there was something broken. Mm. Like without a doubt, like the start of 2008. I crashed at Qatar and broke my collarbone. Um, sorry, at Phillip Island test, it broke my collarbone. And then the first race was at Qatar and I only had six weeks and I went there and um, I, thought, I thought, thought I was rocky. I went there with my trainer. We went there a couple of weeks early. You ran up and down some stairs. And, and- uh, it was just out doing like, you know, we stayed we stayed around where we were and just did this very light gym and doing everything we could And because um, we from there we are going back to Europe anyway. And um, I felt weak as piss, but um, I, it was the brand new bike, the 1098. And Max Biaggi, um, he he was on one as well, but not in the factory team. And uh, 
there was a big rivalry there between myself and Max and um, the first race I ran off the track like five or six times and um, Davida was standing on the side on pit lane wall like telling me to take it easy and um, but I didn't and um, it come down to the last lap and Max passed me then it come down to the last corner and he passed me again but went a tiny bit wide and I got back on the inside of him and I just looked over my shoulder and just said fuck off <laughs> like do you reckon he could have heard you no but and then uh so i took the first win and i was just like pumped you know like the first win on the new bike yeah it was me thank you very much what is it about Biagi? you seem to always <laughs> rub other people up no one seemed to get along with him yeah but that back to 2007 yeah i crashed at coppice and done my finger and split like a nut like you know split an atom i say and uh, Too that's, late now. that's what i really that's what i really felt painful. when i was laying in that i slid across the track on my on my belly backwards and then I hit the ribble strip going backwards. Ooh. So, yeah, I'm like sitting there in the gravel and, you know, ended up on my hands and knees and I'm just like, oh, yeah. So, so meanwhile, you've got half a finger virtually. Which I didn't know about. Pulled apart, but it's not your greatest concern at this point uh, yeah, in time. Yeah, I didn't know. And um, I'm sitting there in the gravel like trying to push things down, you know what I mean? That's what it felt like. It just felt like you had a massive kick in the nuts. <laughs> and uh, I finally sort of come to my senses and sort of crawled up through the fence and um, hobbled over there, and this little English kid said, Bayless, give me your gloves. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever, and I just tore my right one off. And as I looked down to tear it off, I just seen blood there and tore it off. And when the glove came off, it was like just hanging on. Shit, I've got to go to the medical centre. But did you give but, him the glove? Yeah, yeah, I gave him the glove. Oh, you did? Oh, you yeah, still I, gave I, it? Blood soaked I, in everything? I just flicked it at him. Wow, that's and, a bit uh, of memorabilia. Yeah, by the time I got out to the... Um, <laughs> Like to the back of the grandstand there, like one of the guys was on the scooter and he took me straight to the medical centre and um, went in there and they, you know, I was a bit, by then I was more worried about um, my finger and uh, jumped up on the bed but I still had like bad pains down in my groin area and I'm like, I think I don't know if I should say anything. And um, they're looking at the finger. I'm going, sniff it off. It'll be all right. I can race the second race. Like, cause it was like, honestly, it was only a tiny little bit of skin there. And they're like, no, 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 no. We can't do that. And then um, I, went, I was just going mad. And I went to get up off the, the bed and I sort of collapsed. And I went, oh, yeah, there's something else. They've, they've tell, got a point. I've got to tell you about. And um, that was that. Off to the, off to the proper hospital, the hand specialist place. And then they, whatever, they fixed up my finger, got rid of that. And I, I hope you didn't uh, go to the hand specialist place for yeah, the other no, issue because no. that's probably not going to help. They yeah, don't, I know. They're not experts and, um, in that. But like, that got sorted out at the same place, I'm sure. I can't even remember. But um, the only thing I'm dirty about is like I didn't – I forgot to ask for my like, little bit of my finger back because <laughs> the, the end bit was perfect. <laughs> and the, the guy said oh, – You said can, you were a hoarder, so that's we can new do, levels. He said we can, we can like sew that bit. <laughs> we can sew that bit on but it's going to look a bit stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he said it's not going to do much and he said it's going to take months and months for it to like to take to sort of to, take yeah. I went yeah no we won't be having Fair that point. and um, that was that it was um, it was uh, a couple of days in the hospital there and um, yeah I probably don't want to get too personal but when you when you split one in half and they sew it back together there's some uh, you end up with some massive swelling down there it, it was incredible I will believe you it was incredible. I, I will not question you. And so it was only two or three weeks to the next race and um, I was like... How did they put that out in the press release about your actual injuries? I don't injuries? know if I told anyone at that stage really what had happened. But um, we turned up at Valencia and um, I wanted to do anything that 
I could to get back on the bike. And um, so I'd come up with like a cr- cricketer's cup because like, I was oh, so yeah, sensitive down box, there. Yeah. I thought, yeah, this is going to work. It'll be okay, but it was still really painful. And I just felt weird without my finger there again. <laughs> and um, anyway, I got through it. I had a third and did okay, but um, struggled, you know, struggled a little bit and um, finally had a breakthrough when we went to Assen and I had, you know, uh, a win there and a few more during the year, but it was like third or fourth in the championship and that was that for the end of that year. Uh, 2008, long story short, we jumped on the new bike and I had heaps of good races and and uh, won the championship and I'd already said at the start of the year by February that that was going to be my last year on the bike. Is and, that um, last year on that bike? Last, last year in bike? And I was going to stop um, because I thought if I don't put it out there, I'm going to keep on going. Mm. And, um, you need to give yourself an endpoint yeah, to yeah. go to rather so than. So we made every... that we made that decision and um, had to live with that. Uh, rode rode through the year and turned up to the last round, which was quite a weird feeling. Which was at Porto Mayo, and uh, put it on pole and won both races down there. Um, met Schumacher on the grid, which I'd I'd met him before, but like he came onto the grid and had a uh, a bit of a chat and. Um, and you know, he's retired at this point. Yeah, he was stopped. Yeah. And the next day on the Monday, he was testing all the top team bikes because he's a big motorbike yeah, fan. Like yeah. he, he was, um, his guys were upset of him because he loved bikes and he used to ride a lot. And he'd, you know, he'd he'd have some crashes. He'd have some crashes. And he was, we was talking to me um, in the pit box before the races, and he was just asking me about front feel on the bike, and I'm like. Man, I I can't help you there. It's like me asking you about like driving a Formula One car, and it just comes from many years of experience and and feeling it, you know. Mm. And uh, and that was that. And then he rode the bikes the following day, and I thought he's going to love my bike, um, but he didn't. He didn't like mine as much as I think the Yamaha. Uh, he said mine was unstable and whatever, but you know it suited me. Every rider's got their own little way of the bike, and I mean just because. I love my bike doesn't mean someone else will, but yeah, awesome. Uh, you know, to meet him was a highlight, and uh, it was a great um, highlight for me on that day to win both races as well. Nice and to finish way. out on top, yeah, nice was way to put like, a full stop. Uh, on. Absolutely, as I'm riding the last lap of that race, it was like the, the feelings that go through your mind was, whew, wow. It's Is over. it a feeling of it's done? Uh, I could still do this because look what I'm doing or what a way to stop. Yeah, for then it was like what a way to stop. And then um, it didn't take long before like um, we moved home in January and already the first race come around at Phillip Island, went down there and I, I couldn't even go into the box. Like I seen the guys out the back, said hello, but I felt like so out of place. And, well, you uh, don't have a team, you don't yeah, have a yeah. garage, you and, don't have um, a posse of your boys. You know? Yeah, it's it's a really, really difficult one. I struggled for a couple of years but sort of just got on with life and I, the plan was to um, take it easy for a couple of years and um, I was still contracted to Ducati doing some test riding and stuff, uh, which was good. I had you know, plenty of work but I was actually missing the racing and um, I always, you know, like it was – not going to be good for like we'd settle back in Oz and I knew that it'd be the wrong thing you know if I had gone back and the decision was done but I always talked about it and um I was probably a pain in the ass <laughs> and then uh, then you know you let yourself go and I was just sort of going with the flow uh and then like a 
it was about two years actually when I the V8 sort of thing popped up and uh, a mate of mine, Matt Cousins, been around V8s a lot. Mm. Remember Matt? Um, so at the time, he his wife Martine had been the Triple yeah. Eight PR manager and Matt had been managing Jamie Winkup. As yeah, well. and um, I was still like fit at this stage. But um, and we're talking two thousand and must have been two thousand and nine or ten. Yeah, um, nine, no, nine, nine, because you ended up racing later in nine. So right, I think it was the very start of nine. Yeah. So so how does this whole so at the time Roland Day and Triple Eight is Team Vodafone and they're in yeah. the last year of racing Falcons right before yeah. they swapped to and so to basically so that all that was all through Matt. Um, basically, it was all through Matt. So did you always have a little thing for four I, wheels? I, I mean, V8s. did you grow up watching? Yeah, yeah, love love V eights. You know, a bit of a Dick Johnson man myself from back in the day. Uh, I'm definitely a Ford guy, although I drive a Holden Ute, only because my wife's a Holden girl and that was the only <laughs> way I was going get to get a Ute. Get a Ute. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this, there was so did you, talk did you between ask, myself and Matt. And, and then, you just said, look, I, the competitive juices are still here. I want to do something. If I'm going to do it, I'd like to do something different. Or what yeah, was the mindset was, of your mindset? I don't know how Matt just said, right, I've lined you up a... A spin in uh, Lounge's car. You keen for that? Talking about like, going straight to the top. Yeah, no mucking around. How's that? And I'm like, are you serious? Like, wow. Like, I don't have any experience in a car. Like, did a little bit of fun karting and stuff like that. So we roll out to um, to Ipswich. The mecca of Australian uh, motorsport, Queensland uh, Raceway. The home yeah. test track of all yeah. the Queensland It's actually fun to drive around there in a car. Uh, don't like the place on a bike at all. Um, so I meet Roland and the, and the crew. So and you've never met them until the day you drove the car? No, I'd met, I'd met Craig like a little bit. But, um, yeah, we roll out there and um, meet the guys. I'm like a bit nervous, you know, like mm, yeah. it's like proper car. Yeah, this is not some show car or ride no, car. This, this is, is the race car. Yeah, proper yeah. car. So um, Craig goes out. I can't remember if I did laps with him in the car first, did a few laps. Then he did a few laps by himself, make sure the car was good. Then the car was mine for the whole day. A whole day? A whole day, yeah. And, and, and so many people have the uh, offer to test in motor racing, particularly in car racing, yep. but it costs money. Yeah, It'll cost you money to come and do a test or to do a program or do a round or yeah. whatever. But this is – is this FOC? This was – yeah, this is like – Roland doesn't do anything FOC, Troy. Do you well, understand this? Well, I think he's a bit of a bike fan. I think he's a very big I bike fan. I think he's a bit of a quietly. bike fan. And, like, I, honestly, it was one of – Something I'll never forget, and it was a great experience for me and a great day. Best best day I've ever had driving a car, without a doubt. Um, and we know, like, there's always times where cars are up and down, but at that time the cars were, you know. You were driving the best of the best. They were the best of the best. And um, honestly, I was getting around there at the end of the day really fast, like only a few tenths like, from what Craig had done, like at the start of the day, but he'd only done like a handful of laps and I'd had the whole day. And so... I didn't set a foot wrong. I felt really good in the car. Like I could slide it around. I could do, I could nearly do, I felt like couldn't do anything wrong in it. And I thought, far out. This is good. And, um, and that what, was that. What, what, but, you know, did no, you I think knew, that was just the day done? That was great experience. Move on? Or yeah, did you yeah. think? And I thought, well, okay, here. well, I know nothing's, I, there's no, I can't be jumping in like one of the top cars. That's not going to happen. Um, and then, um, with Paul Morris, um, alongside of Dean Fury, I got to have another, another day out there, another, another drive. So this is a month or two later or, or whatever. So I've jumped in Dean's car in the Commodore. And, um, as soon as I left, left the pit box, I didn't feel comfortable in that thing. So this is like 
something that I understand, like, with the cars. Like It's like what you talked about with Schumacher and the bike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I couldn't get a good feel in this car and I, I didn't feel comfortable at all. And I spun it once coming onto the straight and I remember it spinning, <laughs> going down the straight and I can see the wall and I'm just... <laughs> and by luck, I didn't hit anything and I was just like, wow, that wasn't good. <laughs> that wasn't good. But we ended up going to Bathurst anyway and uh, Eastern Creek. No, sorry, oh, to Phillip Island. Island. We yeah, to Phillip in those Island. days, the, the, the pre-Bathurst yeah. enduro was at Phillip Island. So that, that, that was okay, but I hardly so, got it. So how did, how did that – let's rewind a step or two. So you go and do that test. Yeah. How does it go from there to let's do Bathurst? So was that test a precursor to doing something properly or was it just have a go and see what you think? Uh, it was more like, you know, it was a bit of a te- proper test and because see how at, we go. At the time, Dean had come out of Carrera Cup and he yeah. had, he and his family had acquired the racing entitlements contract that had been Team Kiwis and he'd done a deal with Paul Morris to, to run a car. Yeah. So I guess for him being a backmarker team, having a guy with a worldwide known name it's a bit of notoriety it's a bit of exposure it's a chance to bring maybe yeah. some more sponsors was that the, the yeah, mentality a, a little think? bit like that um and basically they were like giving me a go um great a great bunch of people and i really appreciate it but we went to but that was like that like dean's car wasn't like the triple eight car mm. um it was hard work and um it was not nowhere near that and lots of things went wrong down at uh, Phillip Island wasn't didn't get a lot of seat time in the car and it, it was just like that. But then we went to we went to Bathurst and like to race at Bathurst. And this in is car. your second ever V8 Supercar race, oh, and you yeah. are going to Bathurst. For yeah, 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 for sure. I, I like I say, like I feel I felt good in Lounsey's car, but I knew that I, just because I felt good in that, I was going to be like a top driver. Like I knew, like all these guys come from from racing carts and stuff from a very young age it's like it's such a big it's a big task and so many people don't understand actually how fast these cars are they think when they go and buy a a v8 they've got like a supercar it's like when i talk about the superbikes compared to a production bike yeah no no (laughs) no and uh and really hard work i hate the heat and so straight away even when even when my first drive in lounge's car like i realized shit these things they're so freaking hot so it wasn't i mean it was so fun to drive and everything like that but i knew i didn't want to really be a race car driver <laughs> like i can't handle the heat it's terrible i don't know how they do it mm. it's incredible um but yeah to ride it drive at baffus and in the rain i drove there and oh i was like i didn't feel like really safe at all um like when the when the when that car got out of shape i felt like i was along for the ride and um, anyway, I overshot like um, Skyline a little bit, ran a bit wide, and then that just links into a lot of corners and sort of spun and crashed into the 4X I remember, line, I remember. Which is, it didn't do too, a lot of damage. But it was enough to sort of put us out basically. And that was sort of the end of that. And basically that was the sort of, when I say dream, it wasn't really a dream, but that was sort of basically along the ends of it. But then... Um, did you also the test the another... Yeah, no, I did a little bit in... Uh, in the Porsche. Yeah, the Carrera Cup car. Yeah, yeah. I had a drive um, at um, with Michael Patrese. And <clears throat> one of the, the best best drives I had in that was at Eastern Creek in the rain. And I remember I was following um, Timmy Slade around. And I know Timmy really well. And um, we ride bicycles on the coast here a lot. 
and um, I was I was hanging in there with him, and like the thing was moving around. I I felt really good, and um, I actually can't even remember how we went down there. But uh, Philip Island, we were having a really good race, and um, four laps to go, I was getting like quicker and quicker, starting to get a feel for the car. But I I overstepped the the inside of the at the hay shed onto the ripple strip, and there was and a that's bit of water there. Fast through there. Oh yeah, Real so fast. fast there, and that that sent the thing off and uh, I remember going off there this was the last time and I'd, I'd put me off cars then that was it for me I went off there so I was doing like 225 or something and the grass was wet I hit the grass and I was sliding and I seen the wall coming and I just let go of the wheel and put my hands across my sort of chest and I hit that and destroyed Michael's car it was a write-off wasn't it, it was, you had to reshell it it was wrecked completely wrecked it knocked me out doors ripped off the thing was like atrocious um the only good thing that come out of that was um michael had to get a new shell from germany built the car back up from scratch and he had his best results after that (laughs) so there's something for (laughs) that's the only good thing that come out of it um but yeah uh we still have a laugh about it but at the time why you wouldn't believe how i would feel like not good when that when that happens but um but that is racing these things happen um yeah that was sort of certainly a low light for my cars that was basically the car dream over still love i still love the cars but i mean i'm a bike person and um i think we've seen that with many many bike people along the way i think back in the early days there has been some successful people like um and for sure wayne gardner was probably our best um, yeah i think so i mean cross did touring cars yeah in the yeah 80s he did. There for yeah, a while yeah for and- sure but I remember Wayne like put in a big effort, and uh, he had a pretty good team going there. But um, yeah, he used to do pretty good in it. But you know, where I think we are bike guys. Did, did you also test the Jack Daniel, uh, one of the Kelly's cars? Yeah, up yeah. At Winton in that yeah, same little period. Of, as yeah, well? had a bit of a drive. That's in probably one a of bit them as well. Forgotten. Forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was that? I guess that is that after Vodafone and the the, the phones because all these teams they all talk to one another or they all see what everyone else is doing. So there's probably half a sniff here where they go, ah, oh, Troy Bayless, come and drive our car. Let's see what we can do with you. Come and have a little was, spin. Was that, how did that all play? Uh, yeah, out? yeah, it just played out. Um, but I remember going to the to their workshop um the kelly's workshop and went holy you, you know, know what <laughs> this is this is pretty uh pretty special along with triple eight i mean uh the supercars is a big deal and um it's a big it, it's a it's a big game and uh they've got some some nice some nice workshops and some nice trucks and some nice cars and uh they're they're big they're big teams i think you had a go at winton in one of their yeah i had a drive in winton around there and um i think uh <sighs> I can't even remember how I got around, but I never felt like I did. Like uh, in the Triple Eight car, I think there was one car that sort of done there it was for a me. reason why they won lots never, of races. It was never like the same feeling again, that's for sure. We talked a bit earlier about you being a bit of a hoarder. We love to ask people on this podcast about their what they've kept. Uh, did you keep some, some of your old race bikes? Uh, we're in your, your workshop here. You've got some memorabilia floating around of leathers and the like. What's your trophies? What's your standout possession from your, your career that you've kept? Um, I, I guess the the best things are the I've got my world right there. Uh, I got my world championship bike, one of them from two thousand one. One of and them. Do you, do you do you do that in your deal? I'm really interested in this. I love this. Yeah. Do you do it in the deal when you do the deal at the time, or do you have to then go? Well, we won the championship. I need to do a deal on that one. How, how does that all play? Or it's, do you buy it years later? Or how does it's it work? Funny. There's many different ways, but like 
you can do it. But I mean, whether they do it is another story. So my 2001 bike, I had none of them in my contract because I d- didn't think that You're was going to work. you just happy to be there. Yeah. So my 2001 bike, um, when the time come, I said, oh, you know, I want that bike. Is this like at the end of that year? Yeah. Yeah. And they went, uh, yeah. And they said, uh, we want you to run number one. I said, no, nah, I'm running number 21. <laughs> <laughs> they went, no, nah, you run number one and you will give you that bike. So I ran number one and they give me that bike. It's a pretty good deal to me. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah. And then the, the 999 and the 1098 I bought at a pretty good price. They did a good deal for they me. They did a good deal for That's me. All right. So, That's yeah, right. I have the three world championship bikes. And did um, you- What happens though, sorry, I did forget. So, alongside that, I've got the Troy Ballas replica 1098, which they did a limited edition of. So, sorry, yeah, they are in my contract. So, I've got the number 21 of 500 of the, of the bike from 2008. Mm-hmm. So that was given to me and also the the 998 number 21 of 400 or whatever they did, that them ones are in the contract. Sorry, yeah, I forgot about oh, that. So you did get a few in the yeah, contract. Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 that's good. And then, that's of course, good. there's uh, leathers from every year. But, you know, you end up with so much stuff, it's not funny. So, like, in a year, like, especially riding for, when you're riding for, just say, Marlboro in the GP team back in the day, um, there's no more tobacco branding on the bikes, but back then there was. So there was Marlboro at some races, non-Marlboro at some races. And then when you're riding for a team like that, even in World Superbikes, like they don't want you riding around in a scratch on your leathers. So you might go through six or eight Have sets of leathers a year, mm. like easily. You know what I mean? So are, I normally are they kept, yours or the teams? No, they're yours. Yeah. So normally it depends because some some teams – which I've only done once or twice, I think, you might sign a deal where you've signed up for that for that team and you're going to use what they what they want you to wear. In terms of the, the brands. The brands, and, yeah. yeah. But normally I was always um, personally by myself with that sort of stuff. So, you, you know, you normally keep one or two sets of the gears over the, you know, each year. Uh, so you end over, up with a lot of shit. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> you need a big workshop. And over time, do you... Have you sold other things? Do you don't let too much stuff get out? Does stuff get given away or auctioned? I've given a lot of stuff away, um, especially to charities and stuff like that, um, which is good. And then like just like through friends and mates and someone needs something, you might help them out. But, you know, the good stuff I I sort of – I don't don't leave it down to the last, like, you know, (laughs) to the last. I've got to to keep some stuff for sure. We will keep it on eBay for you just in case. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure, like, some of the stuff I've given away ends up on there, without a doubt. We'll we'll Um, keep a keyword search in just to see. Yeah, I don't mind. I've signed so much shit over the years, I reckon I've devalued my name. (laughs) (laughs) You have have signed. I've signed, like, Thousands and thousands and thousands of bikes and helmets. Limited edition. Oh, my God, so many. (laughs) Hey, before we started and started the recording button here, you prompted me on something that I need to – we asked you for some gun stories because we wanted you to have a little bit of time to think about them. Mark Webber has been a guest on our V8 Sleuth podcast earlier in the year. We caught up with him at the Bathurst 12 hour and talked about his time in Formula One and his time in Australia racing. But you got a Webber story. yeah. Go on, give us your Weber story. Got a then. few, not too well, many. Well, give us the ones that we are allowed <laughs> no, to publish I'll give you and one release. Well, so I can't remember what year it was. So, like, of course, living in Monaco, the F1 comes to comes to town. So a lot of the times we were always scheduled in, and we had another event going on. So there was probably 
two or three times when we were there and one of them was when I was with Marlboro at the time so you know Ferrari is Marlboro it's pretty easy to get a pass oh my god go down there you're on their massive big boat and like it doesn't get any better yeah you know what I mean like it's that is really good um, but of course, like I, I knew Mark, I've known Mark for quite some time. But one year he, he gives me a call and says, Troy, what are you doing? I said, oh, just, I'm around this weekend, not doing much. I think it was a Wednesday before the race. He said, do you want to come out for a bicycle ride? I've got a couple of mates and um, we're just going to go for down, a ride down around Nice. I'm going, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So um, we meet up. I meet Mark and um, two, two, of his, uh, two of his mates, I think they were from the U.S., he said, oh, we've just got to pick up another guy down the road. So um, down at, um, I can't even remember the name of the town, the next one down. I should know it though. But anyway, we roll up and we roll up down to the, down to the, down to the front in front of the casino and Lance Armstrong's there. He's <laughs> like, oh, he's, uh. <laughs> so Lance is there. <laughs> G'day Lance, how you going? And um, so we're off for a, we're off for a ride. And like Lance is like, you know, he was on the, he was on a, on his comeback so he's about i'm guessing maybe six to eight kilos overweight but like he's of course he's still looking fit as fit as hell and um strong as hell and looks incredible on a bike you know what i mean so we're going for a, this three or four hour ride and um he's a hard guy like straight up he's like just like come on let's go rah 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 no you know no time for talking we're riding anyway so we go we're going for this ride and we get down and we're out the back of nice and um said go past this coffee shop we i said we should stop and have a brew or a croissant or something he said if i stop there i won't be getting back on this is lance and uh, I'm like, fuck, this bloke's hardcore. <laughs> I knew he was hardcore anyway. Well, we found out he was even and, more hardcore, um, didn't we? I was just lucky that, like, at the time, like, um, I was, like, really fit. And I, like, I've always trained him with the Aussies guys, so I was going pretty good. But, like, I was riding at me limit and, like um, – Mark was taking it a bit easier. He was like riding with his mates. So a few of the clients, I was like gritting my teeth and just riding beside Lance. And I thought, shit, this is pretty Look special. Look at me go. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty pretty special day. I mean, like you know, great to hang out with Mark, but also him invite me along and um, bringing me along to have a ride with Lance. Doesn't happen too often to too many people, and uh, it was pretty cool. That's the Weber story we can tell. There's probably a pile that we probably can't. Oh, I had, a, had lots of good times um, around the Formula One time and uh, Mark was always like super, super clean, super healthy and um, totally devoted to his sport and uh, yeah, great guy. You got the job done at Monaco a couple of times as well in the Grand Prix. Yeah. Uh, we've opened up our podcast to the Couch Racer questions, Troy, where basically the fans get to launch a few questions and we'll launch them onto you. So you ready for this? Yeah. It won't hurt too much. It's, no, it's okay. It's quite pain-free. Um, uh, Tom asks, can we expect an Australian Superbike race comeback this year? Well... Because for those who don't know, you've we couldn't keep you away from bikes, so you ended up in the domestic Superbike Championship. Yeah, well, in recent times, and then you went and hurt yourself. Yeah, well, if we go back um, quite a few years ago after I retired, um, it must have been around 2015. So then I'd had my bit of a play in the cars as well. I'd let myself go a bit. And, um, you know, normally I was between 66 and 68 kilos. I was probably about 75. Do a little bit of training, but nothing special. Um, The Superbikes come to Australia in 2015, and, and Davide Guliano was riding for the factory team. And uh, he'd injured himself, and I just rang Ernesto and said, "Ernesto, I'm coming down. I'm getting on the bike. I'm sick of like 
sitting around here. That was that. <laughs> like I said, you I'm invited coming. yourself. I invited myself, and they and so we discussed it with um, Davia and Paula, and we we're okay, right? So I went and um, went down, uh, got some kit made up, and you know, when when things have got to happen when you ride for factory factory team, like shit get, happens really fast. Like this is like a week before, so all leathers are all made up, everything's done, and. Um, I roll into Phillip Island back on the, you know, back on the team that I used to Can't ride for, basically. And I uh, had a reasonable good weekend. I had a had a good crash in qualifying over Lukey Heights and walked away from that unscathed. It um, sort of struggled a bit physically because I hadn't really been doing much and I was just hadn't been riding at mm. all, just jumped on the bike and um, had like a mid-pack sort of finish, went backwards a little bit with just – struggled with the tire and um we decided we'll go again to um the next round in uh thailand and i did a little bit better there i was racing in the really hot which i always suffered in the heat and suffered more this time because i wasn't wasn't fit like i used to be and then after that racing i might have even had a fifth or a sixth down there i did okay but i was like well you know david is coming back and that's the end of that and um yeah it was done and dusted and it wasn't until um, myself and Ben started the Desmond Sport Ducati team three or four years ago um, that we got involved. Ben Henry, for those who yeah, know, yeah, yeah, Ben Henry. So we we uh, have come right back. Benny had been involved in the Australian Championship with his Cube Racing team, and we we played with the idea with um, Warren Lee from from Ducati Mob importers here in Australia, and um, we thought it'd be a good idea to have Ducatis back in the Australian Championship. And at that, that time, the the championship was split, and we thought that coming coming back in it would help. There's a, a lot of a lot of things going on, and what we thought was going to happen did the championship come back together to one one championship with all the bikes, not two separate championships, mm. which was just silly. Yeah. Um, so the the championship right now is really going strong. The best has been for a long, long, long time. Um, so we've got the team going and we've had um, Mike Jones on board who was doing very well. He's actually leading the championship this year by one point, and, uh, which we're really, really happy about. And also great to have uh, Doric on board as a great sponsor. <laughs> Cha-ching. I mean, uh, you know, when you're in the, the motorcycle world, it's not like, it's not like the, the V8s. Like we struggle to find outside sponsors like they do. So a lot of it comes from the motorcycle industry. Mm. The manufacturers, so, tie companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, for outside of the motorcycle industry, like, um, to have Doric on board, Australian Outdoor Living, um, like, guys like this is, uh, it's, it's really, it's really good for us. Um, it's, it's just nice to have that. We're hoping it's going to get more and more of that on, you know, come on board, like, more people get interested with it. And the championship now is really, uh, it's it's getting shown a lot more on television here in Australia, so it's definitely heading in the right direction. Um, but it was it was last year in 2018 um, that we had um, Mike Jones had left us and done some you know how to ride over in Spain, and uh, and we had a bit of pressure from a couple of our sponsors to get me back on the bike. And was this reluctantly? Uh, you doing basically, this I was like, "Oh Jesus, I thought, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to do You've this." You've been twisted a few times over I thought, the time. I thought I'd have to, you know, I sort of it's going to take a bit of commitment because I was like pretty heavy, like wasn't fit. So, like, I, I pulled the pin and like got myself back to really good shape, and 
and last year I, I rode well and, and took a win and we had maybe fourth in the championship. Um, and then this year I plan to ride the bike again and um, was really keen, really keen on the year. I was feeling fit and strong and everything was good. Um, and we had Mike Jones had ridden for us before. He was sort of halfway between a, a job overseas and was not sure how it was going to work out. And um, so he raced the first race this year down at Phillip Island and did well on a Kawasaki. And I raced and although I was doing well, I crashed out and um, done some damage to my finger and I was, knew I was going to miss the next round even though I tried to go to the test and see how it would go. Um, it didn't work out. Then we spoke to Mike and went, shit, you know, for our sponsors, we thought, like, I'm going to, I'm too far behind if I miss two rounds. Jonesy's already got good points hmm. from the first round. His job was like, he wasn't sure exactly how it was going to work out. So he decided he was going to stay here in Oz and ride with us again. And because um, he, he knew that we we're on the ball and, and we're in a good situation. So it's turned out well. I stepped aside and uh, we put all our eggs in the basket for Mike. And he's riding really well. The, t- the team's performing incredible. Ben and Ben Ben Henry and Paul Free. Uh, Paul's like basically our engineer, you could say. And um, we've got a really good relationship going between between us guys. And um, yeah, like I say, Jones is leading the championship now, and um, we're all headstrong for that. But are you going to have another ride? Oh yes, um, maybe. Like we'll not see. in. Maybe there's a possibility we have the new V4R, mm-hmm. and uh, we've seen what the bike can do overseas. It's looking good, but. I'm not joking, like people think because I was in the factory team that we get given this, we get given that, but, but we buy our bikes. Um, we buy them at a discounted rate. Um, we, we've got a new V4R there. Australia, when you're in Australia, we're like the last spoke in the wheel. Mm. Like, it's like you got the, the GP, you got the world super bikes, and then like, there's not too much really, you know, our bikes are production based. Uh, we put some suspension in them, bit of tuning. Uh, and that's it. We go racing, and and then bikes like they're so far away from the world superbike, but we get good, good tires from Pirelli. Uh, we've got good suspension, Olins we use, and um, we can get within like a second and a half of the world superbike times at Phillip Island on a on a, a proper production based motorcycle. It's impressive. It's damn impressive. So the bikes have come a long way over the years. So cool. Uh- couple more questions. We'll blitz them really fast. Yep. Uh, Lee asks, what happened to the Troy Bayless Classic, which was an event that you were running there for a while? Yes, yeah, it was a, a really good thing. And um, it started out, started out. it was always called the Tari Twilight Meeting. And it was just an open meeting, which was, uh, it was a good meeting. Um, but I, I decided that, you know, Tari was my home track down there at Old Bar and a lifetime member down there of the club. And I thought, well... I'm going to invite a few guys along and see if we can make this bigger and better. It wasn't just some regular joke. Yeah, so we we turned out like um, we we turned this into the Troy Butters Classic and we had a lot of international riders and a lot of past heroes from uh, motocross and dirt track track come along that um, had been racing over the the years. So we had like guys guys that in their present, top of their game guys from the past and, and young guys come through so we had like classes racing right through from the juniors as well it was an awesome event we did that for a few years and um like anything as soon as things start to go good and get bigger you run into more trouble and then uh, i can't go into everything but like problems with um noise and uh things we had to do to make this thing happen Red tape. and basically 
for Kim, myself, and um, Mark Peterson, who's our like um, business partner in Troy Ballas Events. So we um, say goodbye to you December and January, just organising that one event. Uh, it, it was a big deal. And then so it's off the cards for now, and you never know in the future it could come back. But um, we're pretty caught up now. In I'm caught up in the race team as well. My youngest Ollie's racing in the 600 Supersport class, so we're flat out with that. And you also, got enough going on. there's you a bit, there's a bit going, on. going on, and between myself, but more so Kim and Mark Peterson, like with the um, with the motorcycle shows that we do, the expos, and also we're running three rounds of the Australian Supercross Championships this year. So there's plenty going on. Yeah, you got enough going, on, you know. Yeah. Um, Tyler, quickly, who is your greatest rival to race against? Uh, it has to be straight out Colin Edwards. Yep, for sure. Um, uh, David Wheatley asks, how competitive were the two Troys on the track, Bayless oh. and Corsa? I mean, you can't have one Troy without talking about the other. Yeah, no, no, no. Great guy. Um, we we had some big battles. Um, back well, never at, nasty? No, 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 not nasty. Um, we had some big battles on track, uh, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, you know, like, he wanted to beat me. I wanted to beat him. When we went to Phillip Island, my family are always on the last corner. His his family are always on the first corner. <laughs> um, but at the end of the weekend, we would have a beer, no problem at all. And especially now, after we're both sort of done, like we got a really good relationship. And I find that you know when you're when you are racing as your profession, like like I said, you'd nearly run over your own grandmother to, to win. Um, but things change when you stop, and and you have got some good friendships with people that you used to like probably not really speak to so much back in the day mm, swords down yeah, yeah. Uh, nick asks the worst bike you ever raced the worst bike i ever raced um i, I go back to a bike i bought it would have been probably the and it wasn't really the the worst bike it was the worst bike because i really didn't know what i was doing at the time <laughs> and i was only myself and Kim and Kim's dad. So it was a ZZR600 and they were quite wide across the bottom of the engine. And I used to crash it all the time because I was always um, hitting the side of the engine on the ground and losing the front. Oh. So, and we didn't have uh, enough bits to make it like higher or anything like that. I mean, it was just, we used to just call it a pig. <laughs> <laughs> to finish off with, we do what we call the V8 Sleuth Top 10 Shootout where I drop... Ten names of people, things. It's a fancy way of playing word association. So you give me the first word that comes in your head. I'll let you have two or three words if you need them, but we can't do full sentences. That's against the rules. Okay. Okay. So uh, other guys have struggled with this, but by the time we get up to the last couple, they start to get it going. Okay. So uh, the word that springs to mind when I say Mount Panorama. What a great track. Okay. We can work with this. We can start to cut down. So great. It's great. There you go. All right, we'll take that. Colin Edwards. Tobacco chewing yank. <laughs> I think tobacco chewing's hyphenated, so it's technically <laughs> two words. Um, MotoGP. Wild Circus. Max Biaggi. Mm, hard to understand. There you go. Uh, Philip Island. Great memories. We're getting better here. We're down to two words. This is going well. Uh, Valentino Rossi. Ultimate sportsman. Noriyuki Haga. Mad dog. <laughs> that was very quick on that <laughs> one too. Uh, Carl Fogarty. Hard ass. Loris Caparossi. 
nicest gentleman. It's very polite. Uh, retirement. Sucks ass. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for hosting us. It's been fantastic to catch up and, uh, and spend some time with you. Well done. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed it and I hope everyone out there has the same feeling. So there you go, Troy Bayless. What a top guy. So many stories from his career. A massive thank you to Troy for welcoming us into his workshop on the Gold Coast for the chat. It was really good fun. Keep an eye on our website, vhsleuth.com.au, and our social media pages at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our next episode and who's our next guest. Don't forget to subscribe. That'll make sure, too, that you won't miss the next episode when it comes out. And if you're new to the podcast, go back through our previous episodes and check out some great chats with stars from Australian motorsport. Until then, we'll catch you next time on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Doric. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car? best suited to. Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.